Good morning. It's so good to see you all in the room. And if you're out in the parking lot, thanks for joining us. And if you're online, we're so happy you're there. Would you take a moment and say hello, say greetings, all those things. Let, let us know who's watching with you. We'd love, love, love to do that. Now, today is Communion Sunday. So once a month, as a church community, we connect with God in something that's far beyond just an object lesson and uh, far beyond just a natural moment. There is something, uh, awkward word here, mystical, definitely supernatural that happens. And so I'm excited for Pastor Gary to lead us through that. I don't know, somewhere in about an hour and a half, two hours from now. I don't know what you're laughing at. Uh, and uh, so if you're at, in the parking lot, uh, used to, when you came in, we'd hand it to you through the entrance, but we decided to open up both entrances, make it a little easier for you. So you probably don't have communion supplies. If you don't, now's the time to hop out of your car, walk right there to the patio behind the big yellow mug trailer and grab your communion supplies there. If there's anyone in here that doesn't have them, would you kind of wave your hand right now and we'll see. Steve, we got some people over here that need some communion uh, right here. Uh, so can we get those to them? We got people in there. So keep your hand raised. Hopefully someone will be bringing you something. You can lower it a little bit if it makes you uncomfortable. But anyway, so that's what's going on. Now, if you're at home, you can just pause me and I'll give you a good pause. Okay, just keep me right there. And then you can go to your pantry or your cabinets and you can get some supplies as well. You got juice. It's only 9.15, but you can do wine. It's communion, so grab whatever you need there. Some wafers, some crackers, some bread. We're going to do that together in really about 45 minutes from now. Okay, so excited about that. Now, we are in a new series, sort of, right? And so if you're brand new with us, we kind of teach in series because the scriptures are a lot. So we kind of break them down and kind of have a theme for a, a certain, certain period of time. And this theme, better, it's just better. When life hands you choices, we get to choose better. This is the theme for all summer. So every week we're going to be looking at the scriptures and we're going to help you make better choices. And so today you're going to get to decide which route you want to go. And many of you are like, God, I just need a flashing sign for you to tell me what to do. Don't worry, baby birds. We'll feed you, right? There is a route we want to go here. And I'll cut that off in just a second. I know it'll be distracting. There is a better choice. And so today the better choice is going to be surrender and service. But the more natural choice that most of us would make is safety and security. But you'll see why in just a second. But every single week we'll be giving you some options. And here's the reason why. We as a church... Every single week, every time you encounter with us here on a Sunday or Wednesday or throughout the week or whenever you're watching this online, every single time we have an objective. We want to make it simple for you, you, to just take the next right step with Jesus. Little steps, cumulative effect, little by little, day by day. You see, we have this crazy idea that God's will for our life, which you're all looking for, right? It's somewhere that out in the future that you're trying to arrive at a place. That is not God's will for your life. God's will for your life is today, today, for you to take that next right step in the kingdom of God. And I promise you, I promise you, if you'll continue to take the next right step, you'll be exactly where God wants you to be in the future. But it's today. And there's a reason why it's today. You see, we've been, uh, well, I told you this is a new series. It's sort of, uh, for the last 48, 49 weeks, I mean, almost a year now, we have just been reading one of the books of the Bible called the Gospel of Luke. It's a biography about Jesus' life. Many of you know, and you've heard for a while, why it matters, who Luke is. A doctor turned investigative journalist hired by a guy named Theophilus to go study 
Jesus, and Luke writes a thesis statement in the very first few verses, and he says he writes all these things, the gospel, the biography of Jesus' life, the good news of Jesus, right? He writes all these things, hear this, so that you can have certainty, certainty, you want that, I want that, especially in a world that's filled with chaos, certainty, certainty about the things you've been taught by Jesus, from Jesus, on behalf of God, through the Holy Spirit, Jesus starts to teach, and you got to go, okay, what, are, what should we have certainty of the things you've been taught? And here it is. It's all about the kingdom of God. It's not about, you know, behavioral modification. It's not about any other thing kind of smaller. It's not about marriage. It's not about your money. It's not about your morality. While all those things kind of get encompassed in this, what Jesus came to talk about, and beyond just talk about what he actually brought with him, right? I don't know if you've had the experience, but when I was little, I had a grandmother who would come three or four times a year, but every time she'd show up, she'd show up with some big bags, right? Filled with goodies, you know, stuff we weren't supposed to eat, and we ate a lot of it, and stuff that we wanted, shoes that we wanted. She would just show up with goodie bags, right? So she would show up with everything that we desired, right? And so Jesus actually shows up, but he shows up with the greatest gift. He shows up and brings in the kingdom of heaven. And the neat thing about it, he said, his, uh, you know, his predecessor, the one who pointed towards him, John the Baptist said, repent. means change the way you think, for the kingdom of God is near or at hand. So he brought in the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. And you've been taught, I was taught growing up that one day when you die, you get beamed up to this place on clouds and it's all beautiful and rosy and everything's perfect and that's going to be the good thing, but for now you just live in the muck and the mire. That's not what the gospels talk about. In fact, Jesus came to bring us the kingdom of heaven and invite us into it. 92 times, 92 times in the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Four different people who write biographies about Jesus' life. It, uh, 92 times it's mentioned about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven interchangeably because he wanted you to experience that, the kingdom of heaven. He wanted it for you today. So we've been trying to unpack that and now it's time to actually put some feet on what it looks like to actually participate in the kingdom of God. You go, yeah, 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 I believe it. I believe the kingdom of God is near. I believe it's really, really close. I believe Jesus wants us to experience it, but I don't know how and so we are going to put feet we're going to put flesh on the kingdom of God. And so each week you're going to make a choice that will allow you to live in the kingdom of God. And so we've been studying Luke's gospel, 1,151 verses. And we'll read every single one of them. 1,151 verses and 568 direct quotations from Jesus himself. So really, really neat. So we get to experience it. And we're going to see Jesus talk a lot today. And we're in this passage that's going to be very familiar to you. In fact, if you don't even, never grew up in church, I understand the church, you're still going to be fairly aware, aware of this passage. It's called the Good Samaritan, right? It's talking about serving our neighbors. So here's the really good things. If you really don't believe in any of this stuff, or you're really, really frustrated with the church, you're going to feel really good about this sermon because this is what you think Christians should do as well. But here's the really important thing. When Jesus speaks this, he's not just speaking to the Christians in the room. He has in mind as he's teaching this, as Luke is gathering it, we talk about a lot around here, that the scriptures are both timely, meaning they were written to a specific, or said to a specific person at a specific time. So this was specifically for a lawyer in that moment, but it's also timeless, meaning he knew that today we would read this passage and that it has real, 
genuine application for you, not for them, for you and your life. And so what I just ask for all of us in this moment, would we just be open to what Jesus could do? Let's not walk in with any of our preconceived notions. Let's try to walk in this and go, God, if you're real and your scriptures are real, which he is and they are, then would you speak to me? So I just want to pray over you right this second. And you can pray as well. You can ask God to really, really fill your mind. You can ask God to empty you from any other kind of thoughts so that you could be an empty person that God completely, you know, pour in. Or you can say to God for the first time, God, I don't believe you're real. But if you are, would you speak to me? He can handle that. Just be really honest with him for just a second. I want us to prepare our hearts in prayer, and then we'll jump in. So would you join me? Oh, Jesus. Um, these people in this room, and these people sitting in the parking lot right this second, Lord, and folks sitting in their living rooms, or maybe on their phone, sitting in their office, God, or maybe even driving down the road right now, or on the way to the beach, God, whatever that is, like this moment when they hear this, God, but they know that you love them. And you came to bring in the kingdom of heaven to them. You actually tell us, Jesus, that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but you, the thief comes to do that, but you came to give life and life to the fullest. And God, we, there are just a lot of people listening and participating in this right now who are really suspicious of whether or not that's true. Like really curious to whether or not you really did bring a good life because every single person would love that, but they're tired of getting their hopes up, Lord. So would you speak so clearly through your scriptures today and would it bypass any of the obstacles, any of the skepticism, any of the anger or pain or sorrow when it goes straight, Lord, to our heart and mind and soul. And Jesus, we know that that's only possible, your scriptures all of us, through your Holy Spirit. So God, for anything to happen today, your spirit has to be involved, and it can't just be involved, it has to be in charge. So Jesus, as we open up the scriptures today, would you, Holy Spirit, mesmerize us with your power and your grace and love. And would we all leave this room our car, our home, different God than when we showed up because we encountered the living God and for some of us for the very first time. So Jesus, would you please do that as we begin this new series called Better, where we make better choices. Would you help us to do that today? And I pray these things in your name. Amen. So I told you, we're going to be making choices today. You're going to get to choose side A or side B. And what's interesting is there's some scriptures that kind of allude to some of this. Jesus actually says, narrows the gate that leads to eternal life broad is the gate the way that leads to destruction and so there is some of that going okay how do we do this really want you to make right choices but some of you depending on how far you are in theology and reform camp go I can't even make a choice I thought God was in charge of everything I don't even get the chance to make a choice because God kind of is a puppeteer up there you know doing all the stuff so I'm not even sure I get a choice and so let me just help you with that I think you get a choice but here's the bad news about your choices for every single one of us I get lots of choices but left to my own devices, my own decisions, the choices I want to make outside the Spirit are eventually going to lead to destruction in my life. So you get to make choices. That's the good news. The bad news is the choices that you will make won't lead you to what you're actually looking for. So then, if that's the case, well, how do we make the good choice? And that's what's so beautiful. 
you don't have to make those, uh, those choices by yourself. Because God gives us the Holy Spirit. So you get to make choices, empowered by the Holy Spirit leading you. So if you go, God, today I want to choose surrender and service, that's really good news and what you should do. But the best news is you will not have to make that decision by yourself. The Holy Spirit will underwrite that decision. And guess what else he'll do? He'll give you a community of people to walk alongside you. The purpose of the church, to live in the kingdom together. So we're going to figure out choices today. Really, really, really excited. So the big idea today is, man, you really have a choice today between your safety and your security or your surrender and your service. And I promise you, Jesus, we just saw last week that, that the disciples came back and returned with joy and because they just experienced God in his fullness. Why? Because they surrendered to him. They literally even left their, uh, you know, pocket books or whatever, purses and checkbooks and all those things with Jesus. They literally surrendered and they went with nothing. And they saw some incredible things as they served other people. They returned with joy. And Jesus goes, ah, don't return joy just to that, about that. Return and have joy because your name is written in the book, meaning you're a citizen of the kingdom of heaven already. You get to live as full heirs to the throne of the God of the universe. You are chosen, and you are accepted, and you're in, and there's nothing you could do to ever mess that up. That's what you rejoice in. And then we see Jesus actually rejoice in the Holy Spirit. Why? Because it's actually the Holy Spirit that helps us do this. It's the Holy Spirit who leads us, right? So the Holy Spirit can come and indwell in us, and that may seem really, really strange. And to be honest with you, I'm a 40-year-old, been a, a, a Christian now for three, uh, more than three quarters of my life. And I'm still trying to wrestle through what the Holy Spirit is up to. But let me tell you, he's up to something. And it might be hard to describe. But as you walk more fully with the Holy Spirit, I promise you one thing you will know. You will have more joy. We saw all these uh, 72 disciples come back filled with joy. And so uh, I hope you make that choice. But there's actually a choice that leads to those choices and this is really simple. The choice, the better, comes with space. Or the space between your loads and your limits. Another word for that is margin, but I'm an old Baptist boy, so i got to use my alliteration. The other one, the choice most of us make, and most of the ways we do it, is actually self-preservation. Most of our life is all about preserving our safety and our security. And all of us, in some ways, our goal is to arrive safely at death somewhere long into the future. That's the goal. And it's going, no, no, we can't, we can't do that. And so what we're going to figure out is how do we create space and surrender in that space and participate in service if that's what the kingdom of God is instead of how do we have this switch where we're all about our comfort and our security and our self-preservation. And so we're thinking about how do, we, how do we live a safe life? Oh, the kingdom of God is not a safe place for right now on earth, right? It is, it is moving in a beautiful way, as C.S. Lewis would say. It's not safe, but boy, is it good, right? And so safe. And man, we at some point have to surrender our desire just to be secure, right? Because when you're saying you want to be secure or comfortable, you're just saying... You don't want to have to depend on anyone or anybody or anything for your safety long term. And the problem is, you don't really want to depend on yourself for it either. That's where all that anxiety kind of shows up. And so today, we're going to create some space and we're going to see a really neat thing. So let's see what happens. I'm in Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 25. And we're just going to go one verse at a time and take some conversation about it. And so, um, 
Usually I talk for about uh, five, seven minutes on each verse. We have 13 verses, so it shouldn't take us that long. And so that's a joke. Yes, it's a joke. Luke 10, 25, and it says this. And behold, a lawyer, this is uh, what we're seeing here. So Jesus is just talking about this, and Luke is telling us, behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. That's him, it's Jesus saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven, and they're going, that's what we want, because we, we know, you know, right? Like, there's something about our soul that longs and expects to live further than your body can take it. We just know that, right? I tell you this all the time. No one at the end of their life goes, man, that just drug by. I'm so ready to, I'm so glad this is over. No, what happens is you go, you, you tell people, I tell people, oh no, soak that in, enjoy high school, enjoy middle school, enjoy college. Oh, enjoy the little babies because it just goes so fast. And the reason it goes, feels like it goes so fast is your soul was meant to be in eternity and live eternally. So this guy is going, hey, I believe my soul is interested in that, longs for that, was built for that. So what do I need to do? to inherit that what do i need to do to get keys to the kingdom no he's thinking again heaven is somewhere well way off in the future and eternity but he's still asking the same question we are is how do we get keys to the kingdom now, the only difference for us is we can get keys and participate in it today so he asks this question you see it actually says he put him to the test he's really going is this a guy i should follow is you really god do you know those things and jesus doesn't uh, discipline him for that he's asking a question and so it's okay if you're wondering the same thing. Jesus is going to respond in a really interesting way. And so he asked the question, what do I do to inherit eternal life? Now here's the interesting thing. So Luke is a doctor. You've got a priest or a pastor in Jesus, right? And now you've got this lawyer. So literally, it's like, it's like one of those jokes. You know what I'm saying? A, a doctor and a priest and a lawyer walk into a bar. So it's pretty neat. Luke's saying this. Let me just offer you one of those jokes real fast because it's here. You ready? Uh, and I'm not going to explain it. The doctor and the priest walk into a bar, but the lawyer already passed it. Anyway, okay. There you go. Verse 26, he said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? I love this, love this, love this. And there's so much we can learn here. This is, you know, a sad point. This isn't the main point. I want you to choose the better choice today, but this is really interesting. This guy asked Jesus a question. Now, what does he do? He responds with another question. Right? He doesn't just answer it. He doesn't just answer it. Why? Because there's something about self-discovery. Hey, parents, this is something really to learn. Right? I've messed this up where my kids or people even in our church see me as the guy with the answers. I'm like, oh, I don't really have the answers. Right? Instead of the guy who can help point you to the answers. So Jesus is going, hey, you got a question. Right? As we start making disciples and invite people into the kingdom, they're going to have lots of questions. And you know your answer to me? I don't know. But what does the book, what does the Bible, what do the scriptures say about it? Literally, this is what Jesus is doing. He's inviting someone to pursue the scriptures because Jesus has spoken in them. So he said, what is written in the law? How do you read it? So, okay, lawyer, you're one who's really good at the law. Now, for them, a lawyer good about the law, this isn't kind of in a government working on the Constitution fashion. The law was the scriptures. So this is a guy who is well-learned, in the scriptures, right? So Jesus goes, you're a lawyer. What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you, you, not I, so interesting, you shall love the Lord your God, ready for this, with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. 
and you, your neighbor, as yourself. Beautiful passage, right? This actually gives us some real understanding of what it looks like to live in the kingdom. Because he asks about eternal life, but what, you, what we're talking about here is how do you actually today live in the kingdom? And we have scriptures from the Old Testament and the New Testament that kind of firm up all the stuff in the scriptures, all the law and that. Hey, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. This is important. Again, sad point. Maybe we'll get to it in overtime in a little um, more depth this week. The podcast where we answer your questions, right? And so, and this, what we know is it, for some reason, in some way, it matters how you love the Lord your God with your heart, with your emotional intelligence, with your relationships. There's something about our relationships that matter. And you gotta love the Lord your God with your mind, meaning you are built to learn and understand and study and, and then love the Lord your God with all your soul, right? This is the one we think about when we think about it, that there's something about our connection to God that we gotta develop. Maybe this is scriptures or maybe it's just time sitting still, which I'd argue it's the space right? The space is that. And love the Lord your mind with all your strength. Meaning it's not just your body as a temple, which I would say is absolutely hardly true according to the scriptures, but there's something about your ability to live in the kingdom now in the way that you take care of your body, right? This is all really, really important. In fact, I would even argue that in order to do the second part of this, love your neighbor as yourself, see what's happening. We actually see this thing of going, hey, you got to love your neighbor as yourself. And I would just argue many of you are loving your neighbor as yourself today, almost all of us. The problem is you just don't love yourself very well, right? And so there's something about the way that we love our neighbor, which is wholeheartedly connected to the way that we love our mind, our body, our soul, and our strength. The way that we develop those actually is an indication about how well you can love your neighbor. So it would make sense that you would start charting this on a scale of one to 10, how well you're doing with your body. Not for shame, but to go, hey, if I'm going to live in the kingdom, i got to take care of this. How well are you doing with your mind? Are you challenging it? Are you reading? Are you learning? How well are you doing this with your heart? Like, what do your relationships look like? How are they going? And how do you do it with your soul? Like, what does it look like between you and God? And again, I'm not saying this so you'd feel shame. Not any of that stuff. But just we see kind of a bigger picture of what it looks like to live in the kingdom in, in, in great detail. Heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then love your neighbor as, as yourself. So there's something about the way you love God. And there's something about the way that you love your neighbor that they're intertwined. Those are the things that allow you to inherit the kingdom. Those are the things that gives you access to the kingdom today. So you want to live in the kingdom of God, you gotta, those are the things we're focusing on. But today, I just want to give you one choice to make, right? To create some space in your life that you can surrender to God so you can hear from God and do what he says. Got it? And so he continues. Jesus says this, and he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. Really interesting statement here. Was this guy not already living? I mean, he's living, he's breathing, he's there. And Jesus says, you want to actually live, you got to do these things. In other words, the way by which you experience life in the way that you're desired, uh, designed and that you desire, the way that you experience that is only by loving God with all of you and loving your neighbor as yourself. If you're not loving your neighbor as yourself, you are not living. I told you this last week, right? It, I mean, it makes sense. Like if a fish were laying out in that parking lot and you're going, that fish, it doesn't look very happy. Why is it just laying there in the parking lot, right? The reason you'd say that is because a fish, like you would grab it and try to figure out where to put it in some water, right? Because you know that that fish was not designed 
to live in a parking lot. No, you can give it all the information in the world. It could have all the education in the world. It could have all the friends in the world, right? But if it's on a parking lot, it's going to die. It will not live because that's not what it was designed for. So if that's the case, as Christians, for those of us in the room, you were designed to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. You are designed to actually love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus goes, you answered correctly. You want to actually experience life, maybe for the first time ever? Do this, and you will live. So there's something really important about doing this. So how do we do that? How do we love our neighbor as ourselves? Let's see what he says. Verse 29. But he, desiring to justify himself, honestly, when I read this passage, actually, a lot of these passages over the next couple of weeks, this is the part that breaks my heart. You see that word justify there? That word literally means to be conformed to the proper standard. See what he's doing here? He's doing the same thing all of us do. He, he's doing religion. Religion, man's attempt to either get back to God or become their own God. Not Christianity. God's perfect attempt to make himself reconciled to us. There is only one who can justify you. But we spend all of our life trying to justify ourselves with our, you know, pay raises, our resumes, our houses, our spouses, our kids, our, you know, our uh, number of friends on Facebook, right? We have all these things, but what they really are are just justifications to make ourselves feel better and think at some point finally we'll arrive. That is this direction here on self-preservation. Justification on our own is just that. This guy's trying to preserve himself. You see that? He literally is going. He tells us, Luke tells us, desiring to justify himself. And Luke, it's like, how did Luke know that? A couple options. One, Holy Spirit writes it. Maybe a better option. What we know is that Luke, it tells us in Luke chapter 1, that he went and sat down with the eyewitnesses. There's a real possibility here, guys, that Luke would have sat with this lawyer. And this lawyer could have actually explained the story and said, yeah, I asked. I asked, doctor and lawyer, having a conversation about how do you inherit the kingdom of God? And this is what Jesus said. And man, I'll tell you, I stood up and I talked. And the reason I talked right after that is because I just wanted people to be impressed with my knowledge. I wanted people to be impressed, right? All these kind of things. And so it says, in uh, desiring to justify, he says to Jesus, well, hmm. And who is my neighbor? I mean, like, I've helped that person the other day, right next door. Is that kind of enough? Like, how often do I need to do this? Is it once a week, once a month? I mean, like, like is this something I need to do daily? I mean, I, I mean because I, depending on how you define neighbor, I could be doing really well here, right? I mean, I, once a person, once a month, close by, right? So maybe that's what it is. So he's trying to justify himself so he can say, yeah, I helped that person last year. Yeah, I helped that person last month. I threw them some money last week. Right. Is that what you're talking about, Jesus? <laughs> Jesus replied, love this. He tells a story. This is a parable. In every single parable, the way that he tells it, it uh, someone represents uh, God. Someone represents, you know, Jesus. And someone represents us. So in this one, it's a little more unique because we have a problem. And Jesus has a plan for the solution to the problem. And the solution is actually people. Right? And so Jesus is going to tell a story. You know the story of the Good Samaritan. To let, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time explaining to you why the Samaritan and then, you know, the racial history of that. I'll, I'll, I'll cover it real briefly, but that's not the big idea. I want to keep you focused here. And so this is what it says. Verse 30. Jesus replied, a man, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped 
him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Stripped him, beat, beat him, beat, beated. He beated him. There you go. And left him half dead. Got it? And you're trying to figure out what the past tense for beat right now is too. Um, yeah, anyway. So stripped him. He was, he was beaten <laughs> and uh, left him half dead. Got it? That's what happened. So you see a lot here. And this is a good picture of what happens in our world. Stripped him. He was, he was fully shamed. Like he was fully exposed. He, like all of his identity was left in nothing. Literally standing there naked. Second, they beat him. Ah, there it is. They beat him. Got it? So this man is not feeling comfort, not feeling security. He is in deep pain, and they left him out dead. Then he was abandoned. This is a pretty terrible story that Jesus is telling, right? So everybody's leaning in, trying to help us. And go, what does this have to do with a neighbor? This is some weird dude. He's walking. No, the other thing is this is from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's probably not really important, but I think it's important if you love the scriptures, kind of understand kind of what, the, you know, the topography here, the geography here. And so that's a, a long journey, about 18 miles, 26 a hundred feet of decline. Like, I mean, so, and it's, it's rugged terrain. It's already a difficult journey. They would have known that. They would have known that bandits, lots of places to hide. There's a lot of places that you can, when you get down in, like the crevasses of the thing, that people could hide and beat them. So this is a dangerous journey already. People have heard stories of this, and now Jesus is reminding on those stories. But I thought I'd just let you just kind of see what that trip from Jerusalem to Jericho looked like. Just quick, here's a, here's a quick little hike, and this is modern day. Just want you to see it so you can have a picture of the geography of it, and topography. See that? So, as you see them walking, this is a hike. People are taking this hike. You can actually go take the hike now, right? And so this is what that trip from Jerusalem to Jericho looks like. You see that? Now wait till they open it up. It is 2,600 feet going down into that. So this is the journey that this man was taking. So you can take that off. Thanks, Elmer. So this is kind of what the, the picture looked like. You notice there's no gas stations. Not even now. There definitely weren't then. There's no pit stops. There's no rest areas. This is a man walking by himself. And somewhere in the middle of that terrain, he's left naked and beaten and ashamed. Right? So that's where we find him. So Jesus tells the story. You go, okay, what's going to happen, Jesus? There's got to be a solution to this because you keep talking about your kingdom. I don't think that's what your kingdom is supposed to look like. So how does your kingdom get ushered into that mess? So let's see what happens. Uh, verse 31. Nail by chance. I love this. So you think, ah, oh, just randomly. That word chance in the scriptures, uh, it actually means uh, properly what occurs together by God's providential arrangement of circumstances. So you hear it and you go, oh, by chance. No, 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 there is no chance. And think about it. Even the word coincidence, you break that word apart. Coincidence, meaning there is this thing of, there are, there's these things that connect to it. So in this moment, let me read it to you again, that it's properly what occurs together by God's providential, uh, providential arrangement of circumstances can be translated this way. A divine coincidence coincidence. So God's incident with man's incident, they, they collide. Coincident, right? And so we go, oh, that's such a coincidence. And in the scriptures, you even see this. There is nothing that's coincidental. 
Meaning, at every moment of every day, God is revealing himself and he wants his kingdom to be ushered in. So by chance literally means that God arranged the moment for this to happen and this person to be in this situation and people to show up to meet the need to bring the kingdom of heaven with them, right? Then this moment, there is this divine, by God, moment where he has set it up for people who surrender to actually participate in service. But the problem is, some of these guys don't have enough space in their life to do it. Now watch this. Verse 30. So we're still reading it. By a chance, a priest. This is a guy who's literally paid to serve people. A priest was going down that road by coincidence, by divine intervention. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So he sees him and, oh man, do I do this? You know, you'll be walking by someone in Philly or go down the road and you see something and go, oh, I don't want to even deal with that. And so you work really hard not to make eye contact right? You pull out your phone and pretended you were looking at it, right? I mean, we all do it. Why? Because that is really uncomfortable. Man, you hate saying no, but you don't want to say yes, and maybe there are good reasons not to, but in this moment, this priest sees this, and he passed him on the other side. He literally goes to the other side. You saw all that, fakes. I don't know if he's climbing up a mountain to get around this man, but he does what's necessary to not, to, to avoid this situation that God had divinely created by chance. Verse 33. Verse 33. I'm sorry, then verse, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, Verse 32. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place, saw him pass by on the other side. So this is interesting. You're going, what's the difference between a Levite and a priest? Well, they're kind of from the same line. And so uh, all priests are Levites, but not all Levites are priests. That means that there are pastors and priests selected from this, the tribe of Levi. So the people from that family tree for, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years have been priests. Now, in the Levite tribe, uh, they all were seen as people who served other people. So if you can see a priest like as an elder of a church, then you can see the Levites kind of like the deacons. You got it? I mean, they still were participating in the service, right? These are, these are people who are high-level volunteers for the kingdom of God. And so the first one, the priest, sees it, goes by on the other side. The second one, the Levite, sees it, goes by on the other side. Then, verse 33, it says this, But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Okay? Divine intervention. Divine coincidence. By chance, this happens. So they, they seize him, seize him, right? And so um, this would have been offensive to this lawyer as a great Jew because he hated Samaritans. He thought they were complete trash. He thought that they um, had demented and broken souls. Like there was a high level, high level hatred between Samaria and, and the other, Judea and Galilee. This is a, these, are, these are like half Jews who added their own temple, slept with their own people, chased after their own pleasure. And so these are people that were seen as not being very loving or gracious and very impure. So Jesus is going, hey, let me show you. Here's the pure guys, and they're walking down the road, and they see it, and they go by the other side. And now here's this guy that you would say, lawyer, is broken and dirty. Right? He's got sin in his life. And it says this, the Samaritan saw him, and when he saw him, He had compassion. Really, really important here. That the motivation here was actually compassion. He saw him, and he saw a person who was broken. And he's going from Jerusalem to to Jericho. So 
If he's going from Jerusalem, that's home base, probably. This is a Jew, right? They would have hated each other, and this Samaritan has compassion. I love the way Brene Brown says it, and I can't share the whole quote because it has some language in it on the back end of this quote. But she says, it's really hard to hate up close. Right, it's real easy to hate far away, but as you get to know people and you see them and that you see their pain, it's really hard to hate them up close. And I am convinced, I am absolutely convinced, if we knew more of everybody's story, the way we respond to them would be with a lot more compassion. Right, so what do we see? We see these two guys and they go to the other side. And you know what's crazy? I guarantee you they had good justifications for it. Oh, I'm busy. Oh, I can't get dirty. I'm a priest. If I touch that guy and I'm going to the synagogue, and then I won't be able to do that. Or, hey, this other person needs me. I, my time's more valuable. I got these things. Levi's going, well, I don't really know. Like, and so what we can see here, while this is a story about compassion and serving our neighbor, I also think this is a story about margin. And the reason I think is because I look at the priest and Levi, and I think about all the times that I did that, and there's a lot of reasons I would come to the conclusion that I couldn't have helped. And most of it, almost all of it had to do with my time. Right, because I had very little time. I'd create, created very little space in my life, or maybe not my time, and you're going to see, this is going to cost this guy a lot of money. So I would think and go, my resources. I don't have enough resources to actually meet that person's need, right? And so you got, you got these things, and so you see the Samaritan show up, and what we can deduce is this guy, I don't know if he had time, but you know, what I do know is he made time. I don't know if he had enough resources, but what I do know is he created enough resources because he underwrites this healing of this guy, right? And we even see in this moment how God uses like natural, not supernatural methods of healing. He literally covered up his wounds. There's something about this. But what we know is the Samaritan actually created space. And many of you are going, I just would really like to do whatever the Holy Spirit says. I'd like to, I'd like to. Man, I'd like to live in the kingdom. I'd like to live in the kingdom. And then you go, God, tell me what to do right this second. God, flash the arrow right this second. Right this second. If you flash it right now, I'll do it. Right? This idea that God's some genie in a bottle that if we were to, that, that we'd like to hear from him, but we'd like to hear from him right this second. We'd like to serve with the $12 we have right this second, right? And what you see in the kingdom here is the first approach is actually to create space. And then from the space for God to speak, for you to look into the kingdom and see these by chance, divine coincidences, and then respond to them. So two of them missed their chance to experience the kingdom of God. Because there's by chance. This is a moment that God created for these guys all to be fully alive. The priest, the Levite, the devout religious people missed it in the kingdom of God. They missed their moment to experience joy. They missed their moment to experience all that God had because it's in service and in surrender where we actually experience God's grace and God's joy. Remember the guys returned last week with what? Joy meaning there's something about creating space and responding in that moment to the kingdom of God. And you go, well, I would do that, but I don't even really know. Like, I don't really know if it's God or not. What if it's not God? And I'll just always point you back to Matthew 5 when Jesus teaches what I would call his greatest sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, what it looks like if you actually had faith, as absolute faith in God and believed that I was God's son, this is what your life would look like. And right in the middle of the Beatitudes, he says something so important. He says, blessed, happy are the pure in heart, for they will see God. See that? Happy not are the educated, not happy are 
the ones with all the stuff, doing all the right stuff, that attend church the most, dress the nicest. Happy are the ones who went to seminary. Happy are the ones who made it to an old age. No, no, no. You see what it says? Blessed or happy are those with a pure heart. For what will they see? They will see God. And you're going, I want to see God. Well, it's really, really neat here. So you get these moments, you go, God, I'm not sure if that's you or not. Then stop and go, but Lord, I just want to please you. I just want to respond to you. And so Jesus, I think this is you, Holy Spirit. I think you're doing this. But even if it's not, it seems like the next right step, right? And in that moment, you could get it completely wrong. And yet you could fully experience God's joy and blessing because of your pure heart. So this is about responding. So this guy has this pure heart and he responds. Why? Because he had compassion. So he saw a man in need. And I promise you that Jesus wants to meet every single least lost and lonely person and his plan to meet those people or actually through his spirit through his people so this is the moment where that happens and let's see what happens next he went to him and bound up his wounds pouring on oil and wine then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him chance encounter filled with compassion you see what we see here he uses his own resources and he uses his own time and he actually makes his own sacrifices. He puts someone else on his animal. He walks slowly with this person, giving God space to do something in his full and absolute surrender. And what does he do in that? He serves. He serves. And the next day, he took out two denarii. That's about a day's wages. So depending on what you make, you can imagine three, four hundred bucks, whatever that is, right? In two days. Uh, and gave them to the innkeeper. So he gives them the stuff, more sacrifice of his own space and margin that he created, saying, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. This is really interesting, because obviously this guy still has some stuff that he has to do. And there's still responsibilities in his life. So we go, well, we can't do this because we got to pay a mortgage. We can't do this. So this guy navigates that tension, right? He, he responds in triage. He meets his need. He uses his own resources, right? Here's what we do. We go, we want to save for a rainy day right? So we, we gather lots of resources. And I'm not saying it's bad to save because you got to think about future ministry. You got to fund your future ministry. So it's not bad to have retirement because you plan to continue to live in the kingdom of God 30 years from now, right? So I'm not saying you shouldn't save. What I am saying is we spend a lot of time and energy trying to save for a rainy day and all around us, if we were to open up our eyes and look around in compassion, we are seeing people experience really rainy days. So this guy, he still has work to do. He still has to leave, but he actually meets this guy, gets him to a place where he can be cared for, and then he funds it out of his own sacrifice, and he goes and does whatever is his priority in the moment. There's something, but watch what he says. He says, take care of him, and whatever you spend, more you spend, I'll repay you when I come back. Hey, it's all God's, right? It's God's resources. God's resources, so I'm just going to spend it, right? This is really, really important. So when you walk into the kingdom on this side, when you walk to the side, there are some things that will change in your life. So let me just give you some words for it, right? One of the questions is this. How much should I give? How much time should I give? How much should I volunteer? How much money should I give? You see, that's the question we ask in our world. And we're trying to figure out exactly how much we have to do to get right over the toe into the kingdom, right? What if you just stopped asking that question and started asking this question? How much should I keep? How much time should I keep? How much money should I keep? How many sets of clothes should I keep? How much food 
should I keep? Not how much do I need to give? What's the amount? Like right over the line so that I feel like I'm doing stuff in the kingdom and yet I'm still taking care of my own safety and security. How much did you keep? And what's interesting, if you start asking that question, another set of questions will come up for you. You see, a lot of our time and energy is spent asking, why don't we have what we don't have? I'm experiencing it right now. I'm coaching an eighth grade basketball uh, team, and we actually have a game in an hour and 15 minutes. So I'll walk off the stage, and we'll drive up to Spooky Nook, and there'll be a, 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 a game, and we're not good. We're actually pretty terrible. We lost by 25 both games yesterday. And I can find myself in those moments going, God, why— why don't we have these players? Why don't we have some of their players? You see it? We just live in this world where we can see our frustration and we can start longing for something there. God, why didn't you give me those players? God, yeah, why, why don't I have a six foot four kid on my team, right? You see it like this is out of the frustration. You start asking these questions instead of, instead of asking, why don't I have what I don't have? Better question, why has God given me what he's given me? Why are these 11 boys with me five hours a week? Right, it's not about winning or losing, but what are these kids? Why have you given me those kids, right? So when you start thinking about this, instead of how much should you keep, instead of start thinking how much, I mean, I mean, how much should you give, start thinking how much should you keep, and then all of a sudden start looking around the world and instead of say, saying, God, why don't I have that? Why don't I have that marriage? Why don't I have that car? Instead of going, God, why have you given me what you've given me? And I'll go ahead and tell you the answer. The reason he's given you what he's given you is because he expects you to use it fully in the kingdom of God. This Samaritan, he had extra money and extra time. Why? Because by chance, he was going to create a moment for this guy to meet that guy's needs and bring the kingdom of heaven with him. So we got to start doing an inventory of everything in our life and start going, God, why have you given me what you've given me? And there's something about it. And he's given you those things so that you can have joy. But the joy doesn't actually come from the pleasure of playing with the things. The joy comes from when you share and you surrender and you serve. And so Jesus asked the question, which of these... Three, do you think uh, proved to be a neighbor to the man? Who fell among the robbers? Who do you think? Who do you think? Which one? The priest and the Levite? Or the Samaritan, the one you don't like? Which one? Which one? Verse 37, he said, the one who showed him mercy. The one who showed him mercy. The one who showed him mercy. The one with the pure heart. That's the one who's a better neighbor. And that word neighbor literally means near. So all it means is, the one who saw a need up close and got in the middle of it. See, that's all neighbor means. One who's near. So we create space in our life with our money, with our time, and we stop running the rat race, and we start, we start stop going with the culture downstream and just get out of the water and slowly start walking the other way with our eyes open looking around, right? We create space and margin in our life so that we give to God, we surrender and go, God, I don't know what today has. I have no idea. Lord, I don't know what my interactions are going to be, but I'm going to look for you, and I'm going to give you my hands and feet and my checkbook. For those of you who still write checks at the grocery store, I won't get behind you. I promise you. Because, right? Because I don't have enough time. Right? Right? So we go, God, I'm going to give you space. I'm going to start creating margin, and I'm going to surrender all that to you every single day. I'm going to get up and go, why is God giving me this day? Because he's giving it to you for a reason. Why is he giving me this, this checkbook or these cars or this many seats in my car, right? Or this job or this family, right? Okay, Scott, I'm, because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to create the space. I'm going to start thinking about it, and then I'm going to surrender everything underneath the umbrella of what you've given me for the sake of serving in whatever way you tell me to. The one who showed him mercy. Jesus gives us the answer. You 
you, go and do likewise. So what's really neat about this as we finish up is the idea is how do we create space in our life? And for many of us, really, really good news is you might already have it, right? But you might be using words like, I feel empty. I feel empty. And I'm going, ah, yes, you're empty. Guess what that means? You have more space for the Holy Spirit to really infuse himself, right? It's, I'm actually more worried for those who have filled our up with all sorts of stuff instead of going, God, what, how can I create space so you can fill it, right? So the way I want you to imagine this is it's time for us to wake up and get going on it, right? And so the way I want you to see it is every single day I walk into my kid's room and I go, hey, Bria, it's time to get up. And he's like, oh, 12-year-old, right? Doesn't really want to get up. Hey, get up. And then I cut on his lights. And then what I'll do right next to his bed is his window, right? And I'll open up the window. Why? Because all that light's coming in. And it's coming in. You're going, okay, because all the light's coming in. You understand what your, your response is. It's to wake up and get about your day right? To wake up. And so what I want us to think about is we're going to sing some songs and do communion together. I want us to think about inviting that light in and allowing that light to wake us up so that we can wake up, start looking around, and start responding to the kingdom of God. You want to go, how do I live in the kingdom of God? It starts with creating margin in your life. So let's figure out a way to do it. And what's so beautiful about that is we're not just inviting light in. We're actually inviting the one who speaks light into existence. So I love about what Pastor Gary's about to do is he's about to invite you into inviting more than light, the creator of light, into your life. And so for many of us, we've done this over and over again in communion. But for maybe one or two of us, or multiples of us, this will be the first time that you'll actually physically, physically with the bread and the, the cup, the juice, right? Physically invite Jesus in to wake us up and go live in the kingdom. So Pastor Gary's going to come up and lead us in communion, and the band's going to come up and lead us in some beautiful songs that we're going to make these declarations together. So please come, Gary. Amen. So one of the things that, um, that God actually invites us to is to experience the kingdom of God, to, um, to actually be able to, to walk into that and experience it. And, and that comes really by us sort of emptying ourselves, emptying ourselves of all the things that we desire and beginning to allow God to fill us. And so today, it's, um, it's no coincidence that you're here. Um, this is part of God's plan for us, that, that we would find in emptying ourselves that God actually wants to fill us. In fact, Jesus says it this way. He says, you know, I call you friends, which I think is just such a great um, thing for us to remember um, we weren't just disciples, but we're, we're friends of God. And, and that means that God is actually working out God's purposes in our lives. God is actually with us because God wants to be with us and wants to lead us in that. So I want to remind you um, of this story that we actually find ourselves in and start to realize who God is and who God's called us to be. Um, it's a story that reminds us that um, Jesus is Lord, um, reminds us that we actually believe that he died and rose again, um, that he is our Savior, he is our God, and that he calls us to be his people together. And so on the night when Jesus was betrayed, um, interesting that it starts that way, that he was with his friends in an upper room, and he took bread, and he broke it, and he gave thanks to God for it. And then he said to all who were there, take and eat of this, and do this in remembrance of me. I invite you to eat the bread.
Then in the same way, he also took the cup. And he said, this is the cup, which is the new covenant poured out in my blood. And he said, take and drink of this and do this also in remembrance of me. Let's drink together. Let's pray. So, holy God, we, um, we thank you that when we empty ourselves, that you always fill us, that you're always with us, that you walk with us every day, that you are our God and our friend, that you are, are with us in all things. And so today, God, we ask you to help us to understand the gift of emptying ourselves, but not just so that we would be empty, but so that you would actually fill us in new ways. And we give you thanks for that and pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to do a new song today, so we're going to do what we did last week, which is teach you the chorus first so that you can sing along with us. And we just invited Jesus and remembered him as we took communion. And we just want to remember that we're going to fling wide the gates of heaven and invite the King of glory to come in. So we'll sing this a couple times together. Okay. Yeah. 
to come in and sing, open up the windows, let the light in, let the king of glory in, this sanctuary, this is your sanctuary. You will walk out and this is where the king of glory needs to reside. And he is where people need to see, it's through you. So I hope that you've been encouraged today. I hope that when you meet that person that there's space in your life for you to show them who Jesus is. Amen? Amen. Have a great week. We'll see you next week. Strong 